we are now recording. This is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron and Abe is uh, not here this evening, but I do have a special guest with me. But regardless, Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I normally discuss new movies weekly. However, we like to have these special bonus episodes, whether it's one of our fun commentary tracks or something completely different. This is completely different. This is actually a, somewhat of a spiritual sequel to another episode we did a few years back where we talked about the film I Am the Sky from director Gavin Hood. Well, Gavin Hood now has a new film called Official Secrets, uh, based off a true story that we'll get into in just a moment. But uh, just to get to our guest here joining me tonight, uh, we have from Cal State Fullerton, he's got his eye on this podcast, it's Professor Mike Dillon. Hello. Mike, how are you doing this evening? I'm well. Has it been years since we talked about Eye in the Sky? I mean, it, what, it was like 20... Uh, 20... 15? 16? 15? 20, 2015, yeah. Surely not. No, I th- no okay, it, came, it probably toured festivals in 15. It was made in 15. Okay. It came out so in 16. I feel like it's spring 16. Yeah. Yeah, because I, mean, I haven't like, I, I even come to forward and yet to do that talk in, until like late 15, so... Yeah, huh. yeah 2016. It's Anyway, <laughs> we got that out of the way. <laughs> um, and regardless, I I recall that conversation very fondly. We had a great discussion about Eye in the Sky, and <clears throat> you know, this this new film seemed like such a natural extension of that discussion in terms of both content and its themes and whatnot. For sure, and so I think it's going to be interesting here, where we can go over the film Official Secrets, which is in limited release in theaters now. It stars uh, Karen Knightley, Ray Fiennes, uh, Matthew Smith, uh, Matthew Good, among others. Um, but the film, it it deals with things that I think Gavin Hood is clearly, you know, interested in exploring. Um, so I, I, what I think we can do here tonight is uh, talk about official secrets as a film. We can talk about, you know, what it's doing, what we think of the film in general, what have you. And then we can get into Gavin Hood as well, because I do think he, I find him to be an interesting director in a way that's not too dissimilar for something like Joel Schumacher, for example, where he has like this Wolverine movie in his slate, just like Schumacher has those Batman movies in his slate. But like around that. There are plenty of other movies that kind of speak to who this person is as a director. Uh, and, and so, especially since Gavin Hood, an Oscar winner, by the way, um, since, since he, it seems like he was rising up only to like kind of get pushed down into like, okay, now I'm just making like cool indie government-based films. <laughs> like, it, it's neat to pick up where, where, where he is in all of this. Yeah, well, it's interesting if you think it in terms of, so he, he was this like wonderkind, right? He made uh, his first movie one uh, foreign Oscar, foreign language Oscar. <clears throat> and it was then like his third movie, but yes. I mean, oh, okay, so but it's still early one, in his career, yes. His first one that got him any notice. Yes, his uh, breakout film, yeah. And then uh, is, what's next? Is it, Rendition's oh, next. Rendition's next, and then Wolverine? Then Wolverine, then Ender's Game, which is right. like his last so, big budget foray. And yeah. So it's interesting that you put it in terms of like, now he's kind of doing these niche, true-to-life political indie dramas Mm -hmm. but at the same time i feel like this is where he seems to have found his voice the most i i agree and especially because you look at like after he did sotzi that's the film that won him the academy award he does a rendition which does have a lot more in common with eye in the sky and official secrets than you know his big blockbuster plays um regardless of quality of any of these films but at the same time there are a lot of, I mean, there's Wolverine and Ender's Game involve government in a very specific kind of way that isn't too dissimilar from these other movies. Like, he certainly seems to be trying to tackle something in his films, and I mean, now he just seems like he's taking on opportunities that, you know, give him a smaller budget, but good, but good act. He gets good cast in these movies to kind of work with and, you know, push something out there as far as a, 
an idea or a message that he he's going after in terms of where we are, what we can trust, what kind of things we can look at. I mean, one, one wonders, and, and I don't know that I've heard him talk about this directly or read anything, but I do wonder <clears throat> the extent to which the, the path that he's on uh, or the sort of post-blockbuster path that he's been on, how much that has to do with whether or not he was sort of soured by the experience of Wolverine specifically, because like very famously, that's a case of complete studio meddling, right? Mm -hmm. And they they didn't let him do anything. And it's probably a big reason why you hire sort of these sort of indie directors or smaller directors, because on the one hand, you, you anticipate that they bring some fresh perspective to the thing, but also they're easier to control, right? You know, he's just done Satsi. He's done this other film. And now they're offering him a major Marvel franchise movie. Well, like, you'd be crazy to say no to that. That's such a coup for his career. But at the same time, obviously, a lot went wrong with that film. And it's got this really horrible reputation. So I wonder whether or not, you know, the fact that he's leaning away more and more from sort of big budget studio fare, it kind of has to do with just sort of that's that's not my style. That's not the sort of production scale I like working in. Um, it's weird because he does Ender's Game after that, which I actually liked. I was, I was, I'm not gonna say it's great, but I was impressed by a movie like this that's been in like development hell forever, and it finally gets made. And it's like, I mean, for an, a major studio adaptation of this movie, it's like, oh, it's actually pretty successful in how it accomplishes a yeah, lot this, of what works. It's well, well received too, if I recall. It's got, it has like mixed review. Like it, it's not, it wasn't like super positively reviewed, but like it didn't, it wasn't trashed in the same way. Like it has, it's positive. Certainly it's like 61% on Rotten Tomatoes. So yeah. Okay. Like it, it cleared that bar. <laughs> but at the same time, I mean, it's still like a hundred million dollar budget a, at least. It's a, limp, it's a limp thumbs up. It's a limp thumbs up, but like you know, for a movie like that. But I mean, you get like I said, you have a good, you have Harrison Ford and Kingsley and Viola Davis. Like you have a big cast here. Uh, you have a big budget once again, and I, I, I don't recall any, you know, major drama involving the production of this movie. It seems like he's been, he was, you know, got through that pretty easily enough. But the movie just it didn't make any money, and he's he's one of the rare. Um, <laughs> Well, he's African, so you know he didn't get another chance like the most many of the white directors that do that keep getting chances to make more movies. Um, to be clear, he is white African. He's white. He's South African. Yes. <laughs> but re- yeah, regardless, yes, he's. I mean, now he's. I'm not going to say he's retreated, but he certainly like put his you know his efforts elsewhere as far as the kinds of movies he's making. And yeah, it could be a reflection of like where he's gone as far as a uh, making these bigger budget films and settling in for something more personal, something that speaks more to him. But in all of that, the through line for at least from rendition to now, to me is he really dislikes the Bush administration. (laughs) That's, that's, that's one of the main takeaways I have from all of his movies. So that's definitely true. And that's kind of the, the, the dominant uh, government villain that real life villain that that you know you, you might point to during the era in which he's sort of honing his craft and finding his voice and and you know getting gigs but i think you can extrapolate a little bit further to that it, it, what, what seems like a common thread throughout all his work is like a deep distrust of institutions sure period right yeah. and he views government and intelligence as you point out as essentially nefarious actors that are like always like actively obscuring or squashing uh, the stories that need to be told, particularly about the human costs of, of what they do in the world, mm-hmm. right? That seems to be a common thing at, at whatever budget scale he's working at. Yeah, and you find it with Tsotsi, his 
his you know Academy Award winning film, that's more at like a micro level. But then you expand it way out with Rendition, where you have a number of different characters. Like all of those films are fairly sprawling at that point. But specifically with Rendition, Eye in the Sky, and Official Secrets, they're films that have like ensemble casts and look at different angles of the same situation and, and really try to kind of analyze that, pull it apart, and show you you know the, the message he's going after. Yeah, he seems to be doing two things. So, so one is moving from smaller narratives to grander ones. So mm-hmm. Tzatzi is a deeply sort of personal story, even though it's set within this like larger uh, urban landscape of, um, <clears throat> is it Johannesburg or is it Cape Town? I believe it's Johannesburg. it's Johannesburg, yes. Okay. Um, and But he's gradually taking on a larger canvas, even though I think he's, I think, asking similar questions about the nature of sort of the morality and difficult decision making. Um, but he's more and more doing it against the backdrop of sort of non-abstract, very real world mm-hmm. and very topical controversies that, uh, that we may already have some, some opinions about. Yeah. So, and this ties into what you mentioned about like specifically the lead up to war with the Bush administration and, and, and whatnot rendition, extraordinary rendition, which is specifically a policy implemented by the Bush administration. Uh, <clears throat> drone like war rendition, the film rendition uh, rendition. I'm so, so on it. I think it's, almost a good film i i agree i, I haven't it. i haven't seen it since 2007 but i remember like roger ebert gave it like four stars and i'm like and i saw it so and i'm like well i love that movie let's see what this is and i'm like oh, all right like, you got a lot of people in here like <laughs> that's good yeah, but yeah it doesn't, I, doesn't quite it, it didn't quite land as far as like giving me something really to chew on i would allow three stars yeah, no, that's fair. Right. I mean, this is this is the same Ebert who gave Speed to Cruise Control three stars, right? So, uh, I, I don't often often go by his four star ratings. Um, no, but it certainly brings attention to it when he, if he's giving sure. four stars to a movie. Like, I, I, I mean, if he's giving four stars to Alex Proyas's Knowing, well, I like Dark City. Oh my I, God, I, that's I, right. I, I want to I want to know what's going on with this Knowing movie. Yeah, I, I did not agree with this four star rating, but I'm I was certainly more curious. And then I think, I think Eye in the Sky might be my favorite of his of films. His stuff, yeah. Well, Tatsi is is unique, and it's this kind of special movie for a number of reasons. But once we're getting into these sort of murkier moral slash political uh, films, I I think Eye in the Sky is like a real really strong movie. I I really do like Tatsi quite a bit. Um, Eye in the Sky. I it's I mean beyond just having the conversation that we've had about the film and Abe and I as well Abe saw the movie and he's a big fan of it now as well um, I do like it quite a, I probably like it more than when I first saw it at the same time it does have like because we talked about this on that show like the whole there's the whole Barkhad Abdi subplot where it basically is like right. we're gonna pause the movie and have action in it and it's it's the kind of thing where it still kind of rubs me the wrong way it's like all right I mean I guess we got to do this stuff too where the there is some other elements in there like i think it's a i think it's very good uh, and it's it's stuck with me so like in i mean it's better than the other movies he's made i guess so yeah i mean it's 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 it is it is quite good we do recommend it heavily on here i mean it's, it's yeah yeah worth the watch you know it's... what i think that the barkat abdi problem because i think official secrets has a lot of the same problems which is that he's ultimately a filmmaker working in two distinct registers right on the one hand he's someone who uh gravitates toward or tackles difficult subject matter Mm -hmm. debate worthy subject matter and i think that's why you and i admire him on some level uh but he's also ultimately a genre filmmaker right and so that's uh, yeah 
my biggest complaints about official secrets and and they're not you know massive digs at the movie but i think where it's weakest is when it's playing into sort of very familiar thriller molds mm-hmm. um this that would be the bark at abdi subplot where it's like yeah well we, you know we've got 20 pages where there's no action we need a we need a, a phony chase sequence in here just to get the audience back on board i'm not sure what that what these concessions really do other than like they seem like producer's notes and yeah. so the official secrets has beats like that that to me felt the the, the weakest links well, we should get into it then we should get into uh, talking about the film you know it's funny i was thinking about this late august early september always has like a random like british government kind of film that comes out like as if like the export is this is the time period for it to happen because i think of something like the constant gardener the debt closed circuit tinker taylor soldier spot a lot of junk le carré novels actually um, Wait, it's all august movies these are all like late august most early september man, movies. That kind of thing. most dangerous man i think that came out of different but it, i mean it's still a lot of le carré but but it's specifically like these movies focused on british spies or british government activity it's for some reason like that's like this is the popular time of year for that movie to come out uh, oh, shaw shaw's a british government agent yeah you know a connection i made that i thought was funny was that what i do remember when we were discussing eye in the sky Mm -hmm. it came up in conversation there was another drone themed film in theaters at the same time and that was london has fallen and (laughs) what's playing opposite official secrets right now angel Angel has has fallen fallen. yeah oh gerard butler oh man if 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 gavin hood and gerard butler made a movie the world world could explode Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's, that's where i'm at you know gerard butler's in a a recent Scottish film about the disappearance at the lighthouse. What's that called? The Vanishing. The Vanishing. Like yeah. Pretty solid. I'll take your word for it. It's it's pretty it's pretty solid. B does, he, does he get to be Scottish? He gets to be Scottish. Well, that's him. a win. That's right. Well, actually, right there. you know he's always Scottish anyway. So. Well, he generally is, but at but <laughs> but when he's actually playing Scottish, uh, that, that that's when yeah. he really no, succeeds. When he's when he's actually playing Scottish, it actually sounds like a fake accent. <laughs> like, wait a minute. That's not what you really sound like. I mean, I got nothing against Gerard Butler. <clears throat> it can't have, it can't be easy having peaked at three hundred. Yeah, we've talked about we've talked about this a lot recently with Angelus followed as far as Gerard Butler, so I don't need to get back into it. <laughs> yeah, his house burned down, so Yeah, well. Alright, let's get, let's <laughs> let's talk about official secrets. Catherine Gunn. What were you employed to do? I translated signals intelligence and I reported anything of interest to my clients. You're a spy. Did you get this email? The Americans want us to help them get a UN resolution for war. So, you work for the British government? No. No? This proposed war is historically unpopular. I work for the British people. Do not gather intelligence so that the government can lie to the British people. Okay, that should have been some of the, the that should have been some of the trailer for Official Secrets. I'll just read a brief description here. This, this is the true story of a British whistleblower who leaked information to the press about an illegal NSA spy operation designed to push the UN Security Council into sanctioning the 2003 invasion of Iraq. As I mentioned, the film stars Kira Knightley. She plays Catherine Gunn. This is based off a true story, as I already mentioned. And it also stars Matt Smith, Matthew Good, Reese Fons, Ray Fines, uh, Tasman Grieg, among other very recognizable British character actors. I guess right away, obviously you have an interest in this just because of the you know what we've already mentioned or whatnot. But overall, did you like this movie, Mike? 
I did. Um, don't know if I loved it. It's, it's somewhere in between rendition and uh, Eye in the Sky. Mm-hmm. I'm more, leaning more toward rendition, I, I would say. Um, I, I've talked to some people who have seen it, some on my recommendation, and they say they found it kind of dull. And I did not find it dull, but it definitely has stretches that feel familiar. Um, it's it's not a it's not a particularly adventurous movie, for sure. Right? It, it 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 fits with these kinds of movies as far as like involving British uh, British government and, and courthouse drama type scenarios. Like, there's a lot that doesn't scream like you need to see this in the theater right away but it certainly but it does have a what i think is a compelling story being told i should note that it's based off a a book the spy who tried to stop a war by marcia and thomas mitchell which obviously adapts the true story um i do also think the film is good uh not great but good and i think a lot of that comes from the performances that we get to the main performances that we get to see but i mean you mentioned earlier, like Hood tends to try to do like a couple different things in his films, and this the film has, especially in incorporating genre here, it seems like it's mixing together the the main like the Catherine Gunn story along with this kind of journalist angle, as if it's trying to be like spotlight while at the same time being like a John Grisham legal thriller, um, using real world politics as like the main elements here, and I don't know what would make it necessarily sing stronger uh you mentioned that there's like some familiar elements in the plotting um to kind of give it a more not necessarily generic but sort of i don't know action uh, thrillery kind of feel in the midst of what's taking place but it, i mean it's it's combining these stories well enough to work but yeah it doesn't it never quite kind of lifted off into like upper echelon territory and i wonder part of it is um you know, the main character, such as there is one, is the Catherine Gunn character that's played by Keira Knightley. Her performance is pretty great. She's good in it. Everybody's delivering good performances. Um, and it follows her. She's a kind of low-level intelligence officer who receives this memo, <clears throat> a real-life memo that, uh, uh, I don't even know how to describe it in a really pithy way, but it, uh, it, it is an American intelligence memo recruiting British intelligence officers to spy on foreign diplomats for the purposes of securing the UN resolution to go to the Iraq war. Okay. Um, and then she leaks it and then it moves into all these different entities, right? So the journalists who have to sort of vet and verify the leak Mm -hmm. before they publish it. And then the sort of legal battle that, uh, uh, follows once she, uh, comes out and admits that she's the one who did it. And so you have these very solid character actors who come in and play these different roles. And so, what I found interesting is that one way to look at it is possibly is that the through line in the film isn't Catherine Gunn so much. It's like the nature of the scandal itself. Yeah. Because we do spend significant, significant amounts of time in, in the film away from her as the memo that she leaked gets vetted by the newsroom. And then later it becomes kind of the Ray Fiennes show. He plays her defense lawyer. Yeah, he comes as, in like over halfway into the film and yeah. just dominates the screen because he's Ray Fiennes, but also because he's like he's he's a guy that's cutting all the bullshit out and just like trying to like get through this as the lawyer. Yeah, he he's the one who conceives of this hail mary defense. Mm-hmm. Like all the all the chips are against her, but she uh, uh, you know he he he's got this defense that he he wants to try out. And I, I like this aspect of the film, even though I think it potentially comes at the expense of sort of a. Co- coherence throughout the thing i did like it um because not only it it jumps around but these segments invoke like different works right so the newspaper investigation segment 
is basically all the president's men. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it goes into like it's got a deep throat style rendezvous in a parking lot. The use of the sort of non-denial denial, like all of this iconography that we've come to accept from the film and, and the legacy of that film. And then the legal stuff in the latter half of the film also feels pretty familiar in terms of like courtroom stuff as well. So the film, like the urgency and importance of the film subject matter is perhaps stunted by how familiar its individual parts feel. But at the same time, the parts themselves are generally pretty compelling. And that's largely because they're anchored by really watchable performers. Yeah, I don't disagree there. I do think the if you put this if you made the story all about Catherine Gunn's character, like I don't know how much you really get out of that in the end of at the end of the day. Like it there's it turn it will turn into like a domestic drama, I guess, because she's married to a to a Muslim man and that creates some kind of strife as far as her predicament. Um, and you can work with that as well as you can, but yeah, there is some, there is more interest to be found in the action she takes and what's going on from there. So you get other perspectives, you get other actors involved and they, it all, it all helps to inform, inform the kind of the central messaging going on as well. But in terms of giving you something unique in terms of this presentation, like I did, I did admire that. I admire that more than I liked how it was ultimately handled, which might yeah, either be a, it might either come down to the kind of the limits of Gavin Hood's abilities or just, I mean, the nature of the screenplay perhaps, or just that the story only lends itself to so much that you can kind of do to make it as compelling as you can. Yeah, that's really well put. And I think I don't necessarily associate Gavin Hood as with, with sort of storytelling that, um, kind of overtly deals with gender politics and things like that. Like I in the sky, you've got Helen Mirren who plays the, the sort of the most hawkish of the the military commanders. And so there, there's some gender play there, but this is the film that felt most like a very gendered story because this question of, you know, how much focus do you really give on Catherine Gunn? Do you want to focus on her sort of domestic troubles and the consequences that she personally deals with, or do you want to broaden it out to all the legal spheres and media spheres that she has to interact with as a consequence of her decision? And like, I don't know the first thing about the real Catherine Gunn beyond Mm -hmm. presented in the film, which to be clear, her story is a a story of real remarkable courage. Um, But it strikes me as interesting that with very few exceptions, she's the sole female anchor to a story that's otherwise populated by men. So to put it another way, the film is about her being um, her. The story is about her having her fate rest in the hands of these different institutions, whether it's British intelligence or the press or the judicial system, all of which are peopled by male figures. And so, you know, and, and then, of course, we further need to pit this against our awareness of the kind of boys club atmosphere associated with government and intelligence apparatuses. And, of course, the ultimate sort of masculine patriarchal order that can't be delinked from the Bush and uh, Blair administrations, which is the sort of dick measuring insistence of going to war. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't necessarily call this like a feminist narrative, but it's certainly interesting. I think when you view it as a story about a one woman's struggle that is primarily being adjudicated by institutions that are symbolized by men, like that felt very interesting to me. Well, this story, when did this like take place? Like 2000. Two, right? Like when the actor, two thousand three, two thousand three, three and four. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you there. I'm sure there's plenty of opportunities one could have have, have, have adapted this story at some point, but I mean, it doesn't feel like it's not it's not too coincidental that it came out around a time like now. I would say because I don't think it's like you mentioned, like it's not specifically trying to call attention to this fact necessarily, but it is. You know, it is a story about a woman spy, essentially, who came forward and did something. Um, and, I mean, 
if Hood's able to kind of get what he needs to make this film in today's environment, it seems like it's easier now than it could have been like five years ago. Although it's interesting you since you brought up like Jean Le Carré because Le Carré is doing like the anti-James Bond stuff, mm-hmm. right? James yeah, Bond. He's, he's dismantling and, everything about it. Right. And so so it like cold George, and calculated. Yeah, George Smiley is like the anti-James Bond. And so like Catherine Gunn as a spy is I guess the anti-atomic blonde or something like that, maybe. Like in I a suppose, weird way, I mean, there's an appetite for this kind of stuff, but at the same time, like, no, this this is what actual spy work is. It's it's uh it's dull, it's sitting in an office listening to people chatter and it's analysis. It's not uh, badassery. Yeah, it, it's it's the wire. It's not lethal weapon. <laughs> right. I was curious about um, since we're talking about where the stories uh, structures lend themselves to genre narratives and whatnot. I was curious about. So it opens with the decision. She's in. She's at trial. She's on trial. So it's a cold open, <clears throat> and it's rather conventional stuff. She stands before the judge and she's asked, "How do you plead?" And then before she gives her answer, then it goes into the flashback, right? One year earlier or whatever that is. You know, it, it mentioned this is that. the stuff that feels this is the stuff that felt the most cliche to me. I can agree. At the same time, I like how Hood makes a meal out of that whole setup because I mean the this is a you know, it's an English film, it's a British film at the same time, you know. I don't know too much about how like the British court system works beyond just seeing it portrayed in seeing it portrayed in things yeah, wigs. Seeing it portrayed in like Darkest Hour or A Fish Called Wanda. So it's like, all right. Uh, in, That's an eclectic slate. <laughs> and, uh, and so in like in the British court system, you have like a cage in the middle of the room and someone walks from underneath the, you know, the floor. It's like there's there's a lot of cinematic value in showing this process that I enjoyed. I mean, it's like it's fulfilling a certain kind of narrative hook as far as like, OK, let's let's wrap the audience up in this thing. But the filmmaking on display to kind of show how different something compared to like courtroom dramas that I'm more familiar with just being an, an American. It's like, well, this is neat. Like, <laughs> yeah, I thought that too. I was like, wait, do they really make him go up this? They, they have like, like this dungeon weird, like, style. Yeah, exactly. Like the same steps. Mary Queen of Scots had to go up before they executed her. I was mm-hmm. like, wow, you guys are really old school. Yeah. So, I mean, it has some like, I'm not going to say heavy hand, but it has some loaded imagery, I think, and just the presentation of a, a person on trial that has to like enter this arena that's designed to, you know, punish in some way or, you know, deliberate or what have you. <laughs> Thunderdome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, I kind of want to spoil the ending. <laughs> I, I I just thought of something I want to say, but it completely spoils the ending. I don't think there's any way around it. So what, uh, what do you think? I don't think we need to go that far. <laughs> well, okay, so it, it's, uh, so they set up, she's going to trial. And so then you flashback. So you know that uh, this is eventually going to lead to her, going to trial Mm -hmm. and how that trial turns out is what i'm trying to wrap my head around right now because like i said he's a filmmaker gavin hood does do these sort of genre films and i'm wondering whether this opener was kind of a concession to alert the audiences that like she is going to face a trial and to build some tension in which case i don't like it because i don't think the film needs these gimmicks but i think there's also another reading which is that based on what happens at the end, he's kind of doing it to subvert our expectations. I mean, I catch my meaning. I do. And I, I mean, I don't, I don't disagree as far as that last, you know, the latter part of what you just said at the same time, he is making a movie. Like, I mean, (laughs) for something like this, that I'm not going to say it's dry, but it does lack a certain kind of oomph. If you present, if you present it all as is, I do think that's a good hook to get you into it. I, I don't, I don't find the kind of, 
familiarness of what we're seeing to be some kind of flaw in the filmmaking, especially in the, the opening, like, you know, couple minutes of this thing, because it's just, it it is a way to grab you. I, I'm more interested watching, you know, where this is going uh, because it has this kind of cool setup as opposed to just, like, we find Catherine Gunn sitting on a couch uh, complaining about the news. Like, all right, that's that's one way to open the movie, right. I guess. Like, it's, it's, it's all like, exposition, too. Yeah, it's a lot of exposition. It is. That's a lot, it's a lot of dumping on you as far as, like, this is this person. This is her life. This is her husband. She hates she she hates what's going on in the news, and, you know, then she goes to work. And it's like, okay. <laughs> that's... Well, but, so I guess I'm trying to parse through where to give Gavin Hood credit and where to maybe uh, give him demerits because well, I mean, I, I, well, because in terms of sort of the subverting expectation things, because one of the things I thought was really great about eye in the sky, if I'm remembering correctly, is that we spend the whole film expecting an explosion. It is a terrorism film. There, there's going to be an explosion. Um, you're, you expect it as an audience member, but when it finally comes, it's all seen through video monitors and you don't have audio of it, which dulls its impact. So, I find that very subversive. And so I think he's clearly not above sort of setting up these genre conventions and then playing around with them in interesting ways. Um, when I, I think he's at his most interesting, or maybe not most interesting, but I find him really interesting when I see him doing those things. But conversely, I get a little bit disappointed when the movies he makes slide into sort of more unambiguous thriller territory. And my, my best example of that from Official Secrets is when she's riding the train and it becomes kind of clear that she's being followed. That's the kind of standard fair thriller stuff that felt uh, a little boring to me. Yeah, but I mean, I, I'd also say that Hood is taking this opportunity to make his 70s spy drama. He's making his Three Doors of the Condor, Three Days of the Condor. He's making He's All with the President's Men. That's not necessarily a spy thriller, but you know what I'm saying. Like he's. Well, it's a detective I, film. Yeah, okay. I mean, I, I mean, I think he's taking the opportunity to pay homage in his own way to films that clearly have some influence on what he's doing here, and it it doesn't feel it doesn't come off as like. Overtly studio driven, as far as the the kinds of choices he's making, I, I think it it might not be the most effective. Which again, I think might just come down to ability or budget or what have you. But I mean, it the the orchestration of what we're seeing here, I think it you know does play to him incorporating genre to a story that has some like unique merit to it. Uh, and if you if you want to like address the 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 notion of it being simplistic or what have you, and it's like it's messing, well, it also comes down to Hood's putting forward a very specific message that he's not going to back down, like and one that doesn't seem too hard to kind of disbelieve. I mean, it's not it's not it's not too challenging to disagree with what he has to say about these things. And this movie also has this sort of benefit of hindsight kind of thing. Yeah, um, of course. I mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, the sky. I don't mean to sort of keep lifting that up as this model for excellence, because I have some criticisms of that film as well. But I and this guy does have, in a way, higher emotional stakes for the audience, even though it's a work of fiction, because the scale of the destruction and the loss of life is on a much smaller scale. But the film does a really good job of making you give a shit and very starkly presenting arguments on both sides for yeah. why this thing needs to happen or not happen. So it's a fascinating conundrum of a movie. Here well, the it, film cause is because it, it also it it blends not only like the ambiguity of like whether or not we made the right choice, but it, it uses the bureaucracy of it all to make it frustrating to have to deal with so many things on two different sides of like whether or not something's going to happen. Like there's a lot of interesting facets there where I think this movie there's an inevitability of what's going to take place. Also because 
you know, Catherine Gunn, she loses what, like, she does the, regardless of what happens in her life, the action she takes doesn't change anything. And right. we already, we already know that going into it. Yeah, we should clarify this. So she uh, did the leak in order to try to stop the impending invasion of Iraq uh, under illegal pretenses. And of course, she failed because the invasion still happened, right? And so, like, unlike I'm this guy, even though the stakes presented in this film are very real and still recent and very raw. It, it, the impact of the film overall is diminished somewhat by our knowing how things ultimately turn out. I think that's an inevitability for a film like this, but I mean, but I, I don't think it's diminished necessarily, but, but it does, it does kind of limit the avenues a film like this can take. Cause it's not like, unless you're, you know, if you're watching this movie 40 years from now, you might be like, Oh yeah, that is how that worked out. Like that might be compared to today where it's like, we're still there <laughs> or like the things are still it's not like it's you know it's all been resolved it's like the, we're still kind of within what led up to that and like where that went from there yeah and it's still very raw in terms of like this is a revelation and a scandal that should have undone two governments and yet it didn't do anything and the mm-hmm. the, the people who invaded iraq and under these pretenses and everything <clears throat> you know nothing really happened um, and so like, I, I do find it interesting in terms of because this is 15 years ago now and in terms of speaking about the kind of moral stakes of this um, concerning this kind of subject matter. I am glad that it hasn't taken 40 years to reach the point in which the fact that Bush and Blair ginned up false evidence to invade Iraq is simply common knowledge now. This is a really controversial stance to take at the time. And that's kind of addressed in the film in, in the uh, UK context. But it's not something that. Like this, this film is not going to receive pushback for being conspiratorial or wildly speculative, except maybe in the fringiest of places, because this stuff is simply in the public record now. And you you have to, I think, appreciate the the anger. And I mean, like real capital A righteous anger that this ought to provoke in people. The fact that this invasion happened anyway and the fact that neither government was unseated by this um, by this revelation and obviously subsequent ones, too. I mean. These aren't facts that came to light a decade later. They were available at the time, you know, and like I'm, I'm someone who marched against the war at the time. And it just reminded me of all the people and all the family members and friends of mine who brought who bought these lies and insisted that I was the one who was thinking incorrectly. It's interesting having this movie come out and presenting something, in a, especially because it's taking, you know, it's English. It's based in England compared to Vice, which came out last, you know, the end of last year from Adam McKay, which is. I mean, it's not dealing specifically with this, but it certainly has, you know, the invasion as a as an element of that film, and it is an angrier movie despite being a comedy. This movie, you know, it travels regardless of Hood's personal stances and his own kind of frustrations with what's taking place as a, as a South African who's commenting on things going on elsewhere in the world. Uh, he still made a film that, uh, you know, doesn't doesn't seem to traffic in a level of anger. It's more measured in that point, even though it's still, you know, it it wears a lot of its heart in its sleeve. Yeah, I think if there is, to my mind, a single, let's say, overriding theme that I take away from Gavin Hood's work and what I think is clearly like an emerging auteurism is uh, maybe not even emerging. That's maybe <clears throat> not giving him enough credit. Something that was always there is um, is like it, it's a search for moral clarity mm-hmm. in impossible situations. Maybe you could argue that, you know, Wolverine is accepted because it's this uh, larger studio project. 
it's not the kind of thing that would have lent itself to, toward his autorism, perhaps, but maybe not. I haven't seen it in a long time. Um, I think we all we're all in agreement that Wolverine is not sort of his film so much as it is a studio product. Right. But um, yeah, so I think that to me is what's what's particularly interesting. And, and we touched on this when we discussed Eye in the Sky, but essentially like really similar themes is rendition, but also Ender's Game and how it explicitly these films ask the question, how do you weigh the life of, let's say, one person or a smaller group of people against the greater good, whatever, quote unquote, greater good, you, you, however you define that. Um, and what do you do when the forces telling you this turn out to, you know, be withholding a lot more than you expected originally? Yeah. So, I mean, even this this film, even though unlike the other ones, it is based on real events that we know the outcomes to. And hence, maybe it's not as, I guess, suspenseful for that reason. It does feel like a natural continuation of these um let's call them thematic preoccupations, because it is about a woman who makes an extraordinary decision to risk everything for a perceived greater good. And it's, um, by the way, explicitly stated that she's motivated by a desire to save lives, which includes Iraqi lives. Um, <clears throat> so here the greater good is is sort of a plainly moral one because it shows that she intervenes not on behalf of like British citizens or any specific idea of like nationhood, but for any and all who would be impacted by her not taking action. And I actually think to me, that's like a slight correction to where I had a big problem with eye in the sky, because I think a misstep it took. And I think I mentioned this during our conversation back then is that mm -hmm. there's a little girl who is at risk of becoming collateral damage in a drone strike. And they take pains to establish that her father is actually like a closet moderate Muslim and he secretly desires getting her an education and spoiler the girl dies and the the death of the little girl strongly implies that the father is now more likely to become radicalized against yes. the West and against the U.S. even though he previously might have represented a moderate figure that would stand apart from the more extreme sectors of the religion so in effect the film presents the tragedy of the little girl as being compounded by the fact that the U.S. attacked the quote-unquote wrong people um the reason I have a problem with this is because it suggests that some little girls' lives are more precious than others. Like, like the death of the child whose parents were not sympathetic to the West would somehow be less tragic or less grievable. I mean, that um, that that becomes the inherent problem with incorporating that story to begin with, because I, you can see what Hood's trying to do as far as you know, make in the midst of a you know a macro event taking place where there's all kinds of people on different different ends of different phones discussing the the blast radius and what have you, he's also trying to insert something that seems you know, inherently personal and much smaller and something you can find relatable. But you also have to present, like, why that's relatable. And so you get, like, some aspects of who this little girl is, who her father is, or what have you. Right. You're trying, so, to do that. you're trying to do that within this, you know, build this narrative that's been building up. And, yeah, so, yeah, but, but the kind of political... Uh, conceits that come with that particular presentation. Yeah, so you have, you have to make certain choices yeah. that inform it, who this is, and that means it, it's limiting. Yeah, it, it gave me a little bit of an itch, that one. But I think where that uh, I had some reservations about, I feel Official Secrets feels a little bit more clear-headed in that regard because Catherine Gunn is out to stop a war in all of its destructive consequences without any regard to what ideological symbolism can be drawn from the civilians involved in the subsequent destruction, right? So that feels like a, a, a ultimately more of a moral decision than uh, sort of playing these uh, representational 
three-dimensional chess about like what kinds of people are worth what kind of collateral damage and like, how, how do you sort of stack one type of life against another this this movie isn't really concerned with that or doesn't fall into those traps well for sure because it just gives basically a as you say a more a morally sound person and someone that's just an average person that happens to be working in a position of some level of power and is the kind of person that you know goes home at night and yells at the news it, it gives them the option of like well what if i did this and it has the as you as we mentioned it has the benefit of being a story that took actually happened uh, so it it's interesting in that manner i, I think it, uh, it 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 it's able to kind of take that and you know extrapolate off it to give us a you know a bigger story so what we've talked a lot about like the Catherine gun is what did you think of the the journalist side of things involving like the matthew good and matt smith characters what have and Reese fans i thought uh yeah that trio of actors was some of the most watchable compelling stuff and that's that's not necessarily because the the importance in the the film or the story is weighted toward that segment of the of the story, but just you've got three terrific actors just doing good work. And I thought, uh, and I, I I'm already partial to films like Spotlight and All the President's Men. I, I like yeah. newsroom investigative stuff. It's just yeah. Cool. There's something about like the so, uh, kind of the the, t- the tension that comes from like whether or not we can type this thing in time, if we can get approval, if we can get all this and that. Like it that that's a kind of genre of film that's clearly been around for a while at this point, but also yeah. just. I love a good newspaper, sort of like a deadline and seeing a newsroom at work. There's there's always some something kind of dynamic and fun about that. Maybe it's because it's a world I'm less familiar with, so it's just exotic to me. But also, like just trying to track people down on phones and doing what is essentially detective work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just find just just fun and, and interesting and. You're watching intelligent people piece together clues, and, and it calls to, it calls to like classic Hollywood genres. I think that in that which are generally which are universally appealing. There's a screwball element element to it. There's a noir element to it, and I think those are things that you know they don't go they don't they don't become bad over time. It's always going to be fun to watch people pitter patter in fire crackerjack dialogue like back and forth. Yeah, yeah. And, it's, and it's, as well it's as definitely a, it's definitely like a great sort of playing ground for not just actors to to. I don't want to say ham it up, but actors to really have fun with their characters, but also to get these really stark, interesting archetypes, right? You've got this uh-huh. sort of cantankerous editor and you've got like the, the, the sort of rogue journalist who's just a little bit unhinged, but, but doesn't mean he's wrong, you know, and that's the, the, the guy in America. And, and yeah, just, it, it's, it's a great sort of setting to have personalities bounce off each other. This is, I guess, you're referring to the screwball elements of it. Mm-hmm. And so just a love a good, love a good newsroom dynamic, whether it's season five of The Wire or, or, or whatever. It's just, it's just kind of, uh, very watchable and fun. And then, but then again, I also love a good legal drama, you know, yeah. whether it's the verdict or, uh, or, or whatever. And so, uh, the Ray Fine stuff works as well. Actually, it's the Catherine Gunn stuff that I don't like. It's that's the stuff that, you know, like the that's the glue that holds the movie together, and it's the stuff that, uh, like, I would go back and watch another movie focused solely on the newsroom. I would go back and watch an entirely different spinoff movie on the Ray Fiennes lawyer. Ah, uh, Catherine Gunn. I don't know. I I was into it as far as, I mean, it, it, in the kind of the thriller area that it presents. Like once again, like after she takes the action. You have the whole like now we have to find out who actually did this, and so like the the tension that it tries to build there, like that's 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 fun stuff. Um, the well, you know, I mean, so so big respect to the real Catherine Gunn, like big respect to whistleblowers in general. Um, salute your 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 bravery. That being said, I think the single weakest character, the weakest character, is the husband. 
um, who, yeah. as you mentioned, is a Muslim refugee. Um, he's just kind of a non-entity in the film. He's very sympathetic and he's an important component to fleshing out her character. But there's just a strange lack of consistency in how he oscillates from being genuinely angry at her decision to leak the memo, and rightly so because of how much it puts their lives in jeopardy, but also at the same time being fully supportive of her. And so it feels like this is the kind of thing that might have put a bit more strain on their relationship. I, um, I, I, I'd, I'd have to wonder if it comes down to how, because I assume Gunn was involved in some capacity as far as the production of this film goes, like how they wanted to like portray you know, this man, if they like what, what kind of attention they wanted to bring to it, as well as the fact that him being a Muslim, um, the way the film operates, it maybe like just wants to kind of not sensationalize who this person is, uh, like on the, on the outside, so to speak, uh, and just kind of normalize it as much as it can. So it can keep, it can keep its focus on the other activity taking place before that becomes a major component in the story. You know what I mean? I do, but I think that's maybe where the film opens itself opens itself up to criticism of having its cake and eating it too, because yeah. this is again where the thriller aspects kind of override these things. Because you know, on the one hand, you've naturalized the fact that he's Muslim; it, it really shouldn't matter. But at the same time, it does matter insofar as like that's the pressure point that the 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 state really pushes down on her when they're basically harassing her. Right? It, it is significant. That he's a Muslim and, and and is so in real life, obviously. <clears throat> so the film, I'm sure, isn't re- misrepresenting stuff. Um, but also, it needs stakes. Like that's the other exactly. like, component so, as well. I mean, and that's something that that's something you can actually look at as opposed to like uh, something existential. Like she might get sentenced to some kind of time in some place somewhere. You have like you could actually lose your husband over this. Like, well, so the key, yeah, the key sequence um, in, in the film that uh, really plays on not the fact that. He is the sort of hapless husband of this intelligence officer who perhaps naively, perhaps perhaps recklessly did this thing. It's the, the fact that he is a specifically Muslim uh, immigrant or a refugee, rather. The sequence is uh, when law enforcement rounds him up for deportation. And there's this extended sequence in which he, she has to track him down before he's forcibly put on a plane. Now, apparently this really did happen. Um, but because the film is a thriller it only manages to frame this like really horrifying episode. I mean, this is essentially this, the, a man being abducted by the state, right? This is a horrifying thing, but in the in the per- context of the film, it's presented as yet another iteration of a, of government antagonism and demonstration of the stakes of what she's going through, which is totally in line with what the film is about. But it at the same time doesn't end up offering any insight into the strain this places on their personal lives. Right. So what this does to their relationship is sort of an area in which I found the drama lacking. Sure. And I I mean, that comes down to this movie. It's just over 150 minutes with credits. I, I mean, how much do we need to see of that as far as keeping things moving and keeping things interesting? And that might not necessarily be fair. But at the same time, I can understand why you kind of withhold from doing more with that aspect if you're going to tell a story that's about more than just Catherine Gunn. Yeah, so I mean, obviously they're they're trimming a lot of things, but this is where I felt the trims. Yeah, were it's not a le- it's not leaving it, it's not letting it off the hook. It's just a matter of I I see why certain decisions need to be made as far as how focus is concerned for the story. It just doesn't ultimately you know allow the film to uh, do do the best of what it's trying to accomplish. Um, I w- I don't like to wonder if everything that could be like a miniseries suddenly it's better, but it does remind. But something like this does remind me of things. Something like State of Play, the, sure, uh, the, the sure, British sure. miniseries, not the not the film, um, 
where you know you have multiple episodes to tackle something that wasn't even the was that that wasn't a true story uh that was just like a a well-written thing um you could do something like that with this here but i also i'm not going to criticize a film for not being something that it's not i mean that this is the movie that we got oh now i want to rewatch state of play that's a that's a good series the show not the yeah not the, the show probably, yeah. who's it like mcavoy and um mcavoy and is mirin in it or is she in the movie Helen Mirren's in the movie. Yeah. Is it Bill Nye is the editor? I, yeah, Bill Nye is the editor. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Love a good love a good journalism movie. Journalism thriller, rather. Kelly McDonald, Polly Walker, Sure, Bill sure, Nye. sure. Yeah. David Morrissey. Okay. So where do you stand on the sort of the the, the subgenres at, at play in this film, since you asked me? I do. I when it gets to the journalism, mainly because I I knew very little about this movie going in, and I mean you even brought it up to me, and I was like, oh, it's just the new British movie that comes out at the end of August, and I'm like, oh, it's a Gavin Hood's new movie. Like, all right, I'm into this, and then like, oh, the, the cast is pretty strong here. Good, okay, let's see where this goes. So like going into it, I had an idea of what it was, and so I but I didn't realize it was going to have like this kind of multiple plotline element thing going. I thought I was like, okay, so we're focused on this Catherine Gunn character. Then it jumps to the whole journalism plot. I'm like, oh, all right, I'm, in, I'm into this as well. And I ended up becoming more into this because I can follow that. And that's just, a, like we mentioned, that kind of filmmaking, that kind of genre work in that area. Like that's inherently more, quote unquote, fun to kind of follow along with. So I enjoyed that quite a bit. And But then I'm like, I realize it is building to some kind of like legal drama situation. And, you know, especially given the opening, especially so I'm like, OK, what's that going to be? And then Ray Fine shows up. So, like, there's there's a lot of, like, good stuff to be had as far as, like, jumping around in different areas here. I, I can understand that being perhaps jarring or just, frankly, not as interesting to certain people. But I do think it it, it is it gets a lot of mileage out of ha- not only focusing on Catherine Go, but having this, you know, having the story of a bunch of news editors in a room or having. Ray finds, uh, you know, have, having secret meetings with other lawyers or what have you and discussing, like, what their plan is. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, I think I would accept the criticism that the film, like, doesn't quite add up to the sum of its parts or like whatever that phrase is. Um, because, like, this this sort of hopping around, not just sort of hopping around different characters and different investigations and whatnot, but also weirdly different genres as well. Uh, it lends itself toward the criticism that the film is maybe lacking in focus or lacking in sort of forward momentum a little bit. That being said, the individual parts are all pretty great. And so it remains an imminently watchable movie, even if it's not a fully coherent one. And I think it's also worth noting that the performances are all great. Yeah. Uh, some of them from known actors from whom you expect good performances, like a Ray Fiennes. But like, it also, I think, deserves credit for the great job it does with smaller roles. These are actors who I didn't recognize, but they really picked out some good character actors to play the sort of middle-aged, intimidating faces of the state. So like, there's a Scotland Yard inspector who harasses Catherine Gunn. Yeah. There's like an intelligence bureaucrat who interrogates the staff after the leak, and they're trying to... And they have, like, the, the perfect attitudes for all these roles and everything. And I, I'm sure I've seen them in other, like, probably British TV series or what have you. But they certainly, yes, there's a lot of just good work done in, like, picking the right faces that you, like... Yeah. Under, you, don't, you don't need the, you don't need backstory on these guys to get exactly what you're going for. Right. Now, uh, you could argue, obviously, that they're completely one note because they're there to do one... They're, they're there to perform I mean, one that's, task. Yeah, that's their the purpose. Story, but, so like, yeah. but they're all super menacing, and the performances are all, like, really meaty, right? And so... It's just a, it's a great movie to just watch people perform all the, mm-hmm. right, right down to the smallest, like single scene actors. So credit there. 
And Keira Knightley's great. Keira Knightley, I think, uh, I, I, I waver on, but uh-huh. like she can she can g- give a good performance. There's no no question. It's what what I notice in her performance. She tends to choose you know non contemporary roles. It's very rare that you see her in a contemporary movie, and uh, that, that's been not like a Pride and Prejudice type thing. Yeah, I mean, but just in general, yeah, a lot of period dra- historical dramas in general, uh, which generally comes down to the nature of the roles that she's given. Because the one I can think of offhand that's set now uh, is uh, the, that Jack Ryan movie where she plays Damsel in Distress. So it's like, huh. <laughs> I, I, I get it. I get, I get why she choose other kinds of roles more often than not. And here, yeah, she's doing the same thing again, set in 2003. And yeah, she makes the most out of it. Like, it's not a, it's not a flashy role. Um, but there's enough for her to work with uh, to convey the kind of type of person that would have to, you know, go through this whole experience or what have you. There's a lot to, there's a lot of different like way things to do in this area. Okay, I, I just realized you're right. I don't, I can't think of a single non-Jack Ryan movie in which she plays a in a contemporary setting. The Jacket with uh, Adrian Brody, which is a yeah. good film. Bend a leg, Beckham, I guess, like. Yeah, but that's that's a while back though. Like since she's been a big star, I can't. It's all fantasy stuff like Nutcracker. Yeah. Or period stuff. Domino. There you go. Any other final thoughts on official secrets? Uh no, I think uh we covered it. No, I'm still pretty big on this movie. It's, yeah, uh, no, I think it's I think there's interesting territory to kind of get into on this and for a movie that's kind of have very little impact at the box office i, I hope that we we've, we've made the case that you should go find this movie because it's uh it's worth your time and it, it's worth that. your time it's worth uh supporting this kind of indie cinema anyway that being said um in terms of i don't know priorities and urgency like this maybe is a rental more than a, a trip to the theater but yeah i can see that. i mean yeah it's I mean, more of a chamber drama than it is a you know a spectacle feature so but, yeah I, I think people who are inclined to seek out this sort of uh a uh, political stuff that that is in a way designed to make you angry uh pe- people like that don't really need much convincing to seek this stuff out anyway i think they just end yeah, up believe that the movie is actually pretty good regardless at the same time what makes this better than a movie like vice for example is that it's not about back padding like it like the actions that you see this person take it's it's you, you it doesn't need to go over over the top and being like see how right she was and how great this is and everything it's more of like here's the story presenting it as it is and it'll have an outcome that'll be somewhat frustrating but also somewhat inspiring right and vice is also kind of preoccupied with sort of taking this really complicated and uh, as presented in the film this villainous figure of history and putting it through this prism of comedy satire commentary and to to varying degrees of success uh, as i think people uh, responded to it in, in a polarized way. This movie is a lot more sort of plain. It's not documentary-like, but it is sort of a docudrama. It's a docudrama. Of yeah. what happened and, and how it all played out, right? And sure. From what I understand, it's all very, with with uh, the exception of the natural sort of eclipses in the story and condense, condensation um, that you have to do for a narrative film, it's apparently very accurate to what really happened. So, With all that said, uh, Mike, thank you very much for joining me to discuss uh, official secrets. I think yeah, we got a lot out of this. See you with the the next hood. Yeah, extravaganza. Exactly. When when Hood signs on for a new joint, we'll be we'll be eagerly awaiting what that's going to be. We should uh, come up with like a a groupie nickname, you know, like uh, believers. Yeah. Hood rats. Hood rats. There we go. <laughs> start something. Start a Facebook. We'll, we'll start a Facebook. Start the group. 
<laughs> All right. Well, um, you never have anything to plug, right? I don't. Okay. Uh, you know where you can find the show. There's a bonus episode, but you can find our show. And you can find our Facebook page and Twitter and all that. You can find all the other episodes on iTunes and Audio Boom and Spotify and whatnot. Let's see. I, yeah, Mike, thanks once again for joining me for this episode. Yeah, thank you. And uh, yeah, until that's going to do it. Uh, so until next time, so long and goodbye. Anarchy,